0: Hi, this is Bob Wells here, and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. In today's show, I am delighted to be joined by Clive Edwards. Clive is an outstanding rock drummer, best known as former member of UFO, Wild Horses, alongside Brian Robertson and Jimmy Bain, and many other rock acts. His drumming can be found on many recordings with acts such as Phil Linnett, Pat Travers, John Cale, Lionheart, Toya, and many, many others. Hello, and welcome to the show, Clive.
1: Hi there. Nice to be on it. Thank you for asking.
0: Great to have you on. Thanks very much for coming on. Um, so, since lockdown, obviously, things have got going again for you, have they?
1: Yes, yeah. Um, you know, lockdown was uh, you know, the abrupt stop everything bang I was really busy doing a lot in Europe I was going out there on a regular basis and uh, all over and then all of a sudden nothing so uh, yeah. that was quite a shock yes but uh, I- things have started to pick up um, Europe's not opened up like it uh, it was as yet but uh, you know there's uh, the, the, there's green shoots I've got uh, some gigs uh, abroad this year, Uh, next year, rather. This year, 2022, didn't do anything outside of the country, really, just in the UK.
0: No, I know it's been tough for a lot of musicians and particularly people in the arts where um, they haven't really been able to do anything. There's been an abundance of um, books that have come out, I've noticed.
1: Yes, well, we had to do something when it was uh, a lockdown. I was lucky I had a drum room, so I could uh, go in there and practice and and kind of do do stuff that i don't actually have time to do when i'm normally working because i'm normally in my drum room prepping for the next show and uh, you know and or writing stuff for the next recording or working on stuff but i could actually just go in there with a blank sheet and go what do i want to work on
0: oh that's good so you can actually hone your skills without having the pressure of, of sort of working to, to get a particular project out of the way
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah, So I could say, right, I really want to work on my left hand. So I would come up with uh, practice and stuff where I'd play left-handed with a right-handed kit and I'd do different things. You know, it was just uh, something which I could never really do. And because I didn't have time to do that, I'd be learning a song and I'd be learning a set and uh, stuff like this. Uh, You kind of forget about how it was in the old days when you first started where, you were just practicing to uh, hone your skills and you could work on anything you wanted. Um,
0: I, I know what you mean. I, I used to play the guitar and it was all about getting those 10,000 hours in.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to put the work in, yes. <laughs> end off, you know, uh, you put the work in. I mean, practice doesn't make perfect, um, no. but it makes it makes permanent. So make sure you practice the right things. Don't practice bad stuff because uh, yeah. you'd be locked in. So, so you, you were practicing every day, were you? Uh, I would say most days, not every day, because you know you've got family stuff yeah, and uh, and whatever. But uh, yeah, I would make sure that uh, I did do a few uh, videos in my drum room during the did lockdown you? with uh, Lionheart. Oh yeah, yeah, green screen, you know, and uh, would go in there. In fact, I did it. <laughs> I did the video for uh, for Mary with Lionheart, and I had COVID. I've been feeling oh, no. absolutely dreadful and I was still feeling pretty dread dreadful when I did the green screen to yeah. do the uh, video, which was sort of edited with all of us doing our stuff at home. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was fairly early on in uh, 2020.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're busy and it's good that there's some stuff coming up for next year. So mm. before we talk about your musical career, Clive, can yeah. you just tell us a bit about your journey and how you came into the music industry, please?
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, music played a big part of me uh, growing up. Um, it's it's quite weird. It was almost like you know that was the thing that drew me. I mean, I loved comedy, I loved films, but music. In you know, when I was very very young, um, different world to now. You know, yeah. things weren't readily available. You know, you had what you what you could get, you know, and there wasn't a lot of music on radio that really spoke to me. And I'm talking when I'm four or five. Um, I'd listen, you know, to the radio in like the car with my parents and it would be absolutely mind numbing. And then all of a sudden something would come on and it kind of spoke to you and you got excited. And uh, I must admit, the BBC were quite good. On TV, when I was very young, they'd put a bit of jazz on, they'd put some blues on, and it would just be that break from Matt Munro and the, uh, you know, Mike Sam Singers, because I'm very old, so I go back to the black and white 50s, you know.
0: Yeah, and it it was the light programme, wasn't it, they used to have before 1 and 2, Radio 1 and 2, and it was a whole whole mixture of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was very, very scarce. Uh, Good music, a lot of it was just, you know... It just didn't really speak to me. I'd switch off. Then all of a sudden, a track would come on, and yeah. you'd go, "Oh, quite like that," you know. And then, you know, later on, the Beatles arrived, and and that was it, game over. Um, yeah. you know, and then you got Radio One, and you had all the pirate stations and stuff, and you could, you could hear a lot of stuff. And of course, by then you got pocket money, so you can buy records.
0: Yeah, and this was before you before you actually got into drumming. Did
1: you sort of? No, I started. Uh, The very first time I bumped into a drum was at school when uh, I must have been, uh, I was in junior school or infant school. I would have been about five. And they were, uh, the music teacher was doing something where there was recorders flying about and there was a lot of singing and everything else. And they they had a drum and they wanted this drum beat to be played, uh, even though all these other bits were counter. So it would throw people. So eventually he gave it to me. Yeah, and I started banging it and uh, was playing this drum part, which I found really easy. And, and, that, and that was just one one sort of single drum, one drum, yeah. yeah and yeah. I was just playing this this beat, and uh, and they did everything they could to make me drop the beat, you know, and lose it. In the end, he went off and got a load of teachers in and said, "Look at this! Look what? Go oh, on, really? try and do it!" <laughs> and everyone's doing everything they can to put me off yeah. musically and visually, but no, it was like, yeah, this is easy peasy. Next uh so from that that got me interested and then uh a little while later uh you know i i sort of uh, got some drumsticks at home and i would just but nothing really serious uh but then it got more serious when the beatles arrived you know yeah. and uh, there'd be myself and my cousin i remember uh, rhino uh miming to the beatles at christmas for the family christmas gathering you know yeah. I'm not sure which, I think I was Ringo and he was Paul, you know, being a bass player. Yeah. And uh, Did you say Rhino then? So yeah. the,
0: the chap who's in status
1: quo? That's right.
0: Oh, yeah. right, okay.
1: We kind of grew up together uh, Okay. because you know, yeah. we uh, lived quite close and, uh, and we were cousins, you know. Um, yeah. So uh, we would spend a lot of time, you know. And then when we started playing, of course, you know, we kind of, you know, did lots together playing i know we cracked his mum, uh his parents ceiling when we were rehearsing in in his bedroom uh they weren't very impressed so they made us rehearse downstairs in like the lounge so we couldn't crack any more ceilings that was and, the sheer uh,
0: noise was it and the sort of drum yeah the coming, way coming through also
1: jumping about because my cousin <laughs> can't stand still right for, you know just a millisecond and then yeah. he's is he is about but uh, yeah. yeah yeah so and how i got into drums i mean the big change was i really wanted to be a guitarist you know because i could see the then playing away and all the girls are going crazy and you're going oh that looks good so um i wanted to play guitar my parents got me a guitar for christmas and uh, i didn't get very far. i had it for about a fortnight and i would spend most of the time just posing in front of the mirror pretending to play uh please please me you know yeah. and uh And then a friend of my dad's came round and the guitar was on the chair and he didn't look and he was a great big fellow and he just sat on it and broke it. And I was absolutely, oh, my God. And my dad said, don't say anything, don't say anything. He will replace it and he will replace it with something better. I'm sure of it. So, you know, I'm thinking, great, I'm going to get a Strat. You know, I'm going to get an electric guitar, you know, a proper one. Uh, Well, he turned up a couple of weeks later with a banjo. And I was absolutely gutted. I'm looking at this thing, you know, who the hell in the Beatles plays the banjo or the Rolling Stones? Nobody. Acker Bilk, he has one. And that's the music I hate, you know. <laughs> so uh, I sat and cried and looked at it. And, oh, my God. Then all of a sudden, I looked at it from an angle and went, bloody hell, it's a drum with strings and a neck. So yeah. I shot straight up to the shed and cut the neck off took off the strings and uh, took the nut out the back. And My parents had this big old ashtray that was like a, on a on a stem and you could press the top and it would spin, you know. Anyway, I unscrewed it and, you know, as luck would have it, it fitted the thread in the back of the banjo. So I had a banjo on a pedestal, uh, a banjo, you know, bass, which was yeah. a drum and... Yeah. Uh, my dad's friend saw what had happened to the banjo realized he he'd made a mistake so he bought me a cymbal <laughs> wow so uh, and it just progressed from there and it yes. and, and so another, it was all down sorry
0: to interrupt it, it was all yep. down to your dad's friend sitting on on
1: the, on wall, the on guitar
0: that sort yeah. of almost made you become a drummer
1: it was it 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 was written i you know yeah, i yeah. had to go and another really good bit of luck was that there was a really good session drummer who played in a lot of the bands. In fact, he played in Lord Rockingham's Eleven, who had the hit with Hoots Mon. Yes. And he used to be the, they were the house band on 6-5 Special on TV. And he oh, wow. lived about a mile away. And he used to come into my dad's shop, which was a Greengrocer's. Yeah. And uh, I knew him, Reg Weller, a lovely, lovely fella. So it was like, you know, well, Clive's got this cut down banjo on a thing. and Could you give him some drum lessons? So, uh, so that was it. So I'd go round to, uh, to Reggie's, uh, on Saturday, walk round there and, uh, and have a drum lesson. And what sort, of age,
0: what sort of age were you, Clive, at the
1: time? I would have been about 10, nine yeah. or 10.
0: Great age to start something like that. Cause you can be so oh, focused, yeah. can't you?
1: It's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. because the younger you start, it's like it's muscle memory, you know, it's like golf or anything. If you start when you're a young kid or a footballer, um, You've kind of uh, got that thing instilled already, yeah. So uh, you know you've done the practice, uh, you get coached, and uh, so so it's a natural step to then go on to be in bands,
0: yeah. And of course, you haven't got any um, sort of distractions as such, have you? You've got no, no. Res- not, you haven't got the responsibilities that you have as a as an adult, I guess.
1: No, absolutely, absolutely. You can just you know you get home from school and you can get on like the curtain and practice and yeah. uh, and that's it yeah Makes so this would have would this
0: this would have been in the sort of 1960s 1970s clive it
1: would have been the 60s it yeah. would have been between sort of 62 and 65 66 around oh, there wow. you know so Beatles you've got, time. yeah that absolute
0: happened. golden time for yeah. sort of the beginning of, of sort of some famous famous bands coming up and rock and roll and well past rock and the original rock and roll but pop music as it was
1: yeah, yeah. well it was good actually because by the time the music that really, really did uh, sort of speak to me, which was the rock era, um, I was already able to play. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, fully formed, but uh, I'd been practising all through those years, you know, of Beatles, Rolling Stones, early Who and stuff like that, getting really excited. And then when it got to 68, 69, and you've got Led Zeppelin, you've got Jimi Hendrix... You've got all these great bands uh, free. Uh, I was kind of ready to go, you know, not uh, in terms of being in a big band, but certainly I was. I was then able to, you know, form a band with my mates, and then uh, and then that's it, you know. Well, my cousin was always there to uh, for me and him to form a band and do stuff. So yeah,
0: oh, yeah. it sounds fantastic. Sounds it sounds like I like had a great time growing up doing that
1: we did yeah yeah we did yeah. and it kept us out of trouble to a certain extent as well because if you haven't got something like that you can uh, and you were a bit leery then
0: yeah uh, yeah and whereabouts were you you're in london were you clive hounslow oh in hounslow west london yeah. yeah yeah oh well so so lots of opportunities i guess um when you're a bit older maybe to start going to gigs
1: oh absolutely um yeah i saw zeppelin uh player yeah. player pub uh at the Railway Tavern in uh, Hampstead. Yeah. I saw Free, Mot the Hoople, Genesis, so many bands. You know, the biggest, yeah. um, not far away was, uh, well, there was Eel Pie Island. There was um, Isaworth Polytechnic would have lots of great bands on, and it was a big hall. So, you know, you'd see the Wishbone Ash, you'd see Genesis with Gabriel and Phil Collins, and then there was Fark's Club in Southall where I saw so many bands. I saw Genesis in the early days before Phil arrived and I was a bit shocked when I went to see them at uh, Isawood Polly and, and yeah. Phil Collins had turned up because it suddenly the band went from like, yeah, they're all right, a bit boring here and there, to what what is that, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the opportunities being in that part of London was fantastic, you know, if you're you know, unlucky enough or well, a bit of both lucky or unlucky to be in a little tiny quiet place in the middle of nowhere, you know, it's, yeah. it's a great environment to live. But if you want to be in rock and roll, yeah. you've got to move. Yeah. And and I guess
0: also you you had all the, you know, the Denmark streets for the equipment and uh, the recording studios and stuff just, just down the yeah. road in West London yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic.
1: I mean, uh, I was lucky enough to get a drum kit fairly early on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, through Reg, this drummer, he got a drum kit off Andy White, who had played on like the Beatles and stuff like that on uh, uh, and you know, many, many bands. So he said, uh, because my dad said, oh, I think I should get him a drum kit, he said, Don't do anything, I'll get him a drum kit because it'd be a good one, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so he could see your talent from an early,
0: early age, obviously.
1: I assume so. He put up with me. I mean, the thing is, my practice for years was I didn't touch a drum kit. All I did was a snare drum with a rubber pad and I would go there and I'd work on rudiments, rudiments, rudiments. Never played a bass drum and a hi-hat in, in those years. At home, I would go ballistic because I've got a drum kit for cymbals and I could go mental. But, uh, but for my lessons, it was just working on the paradiddles, the ratamacuse, the flams, the triplets and all of the other building blocks that you need to be able to play and and keeping that timing
0: which you sort of Mm. mentioned earlier on when you were at the school and they're trying to distract you you actually had that sort of um natural timing that you were able to hone and build up
1: yeah i mean i must admit it did always feel really natural and easy to me it was kind of i'd found a little niche um i'd found my sweet spot you know in 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 music the guitar definitely wasn't the sweet spot that was going to take a lot of work and uh and stuff you know so uh, yeah as
0: you were growing up you know getting into your teens getting more and more into into the drumming and bands and stuff like that at mm. what point did you sort I mean did, did you ever when you were at school were you academic did you do anything where you thought well I'm going to do this as a career or where, where, when did it when did it sort of when did music become a
1: career um it came obviously I left school and uh it's a long story but I got picked up to be research and development engineer i was good at physics and science i was i couldn't spell because i'm dyslexic so my spelling was shit but i could read and i read a lot of things and uh, so science things like that was good so i did get this job which sent me to college i did stuff at brunel and uh and isa with poly um but by that time I was starting to play in bands and I was struggling in my sort of second year of doing that of sort of like being away for the weekend gigging because what seemed to happen was every time I did a gig or played with somebody, I would be offered another gig. You know, somebody yes. would come up and go, God, I really like your play. What are you doing? Could you, uh... so that, you know, it was like this sort of staircase of getting, you know, bigger bands. I would, you know, go and do a gig and uh somebody would come up and go oh a friend of mine's looking for a drummer and uh you know he wants to go in and record and stuff like this you know so uh
0: yeah yeah so so you were sort of networking and building that the network was naturally coming to you as you as you were playing
1: absolutely yeah which i think it, it does with musicians you know if the moment you're out there especially if if you play some key venues it, it's not so much i mean it can happen anywhere but yeah. But if you get a gig and you're playing at the marquee or you're doing a gig at somewhere like that, you know, people will be there from other bands and yes. they will go, yeah, uh, we'd like him in our band, you know. So, you know, that's that's the – it kind of – I didn't have to go out and seek it that much. It was knocking on my door a lot from when I was doing gigs. And I started gigging really early. Uh, I mean, when I was about 11 um, – friend at school his dad had a band which was pretty dire you know saxophone and everything else playing all sorts of sort of you know stuff that I didn't really like or could play but he would get me in and I'd be doing gigs my dad would drive me there and I'd do the gig and I'd get paid and I was uh, 11 or 12 Um, and then I did a TV show when I was at school which they played at at the assembly that uh, was fantastic it was like a school band and the pink floyd for um a school's pro you know they used to do schools shows yes which were specifically for schools it's probably yeah. completely deleted but then uh this temporary teacher at our school come up to me and said you play the drums don't you i said yeah He said right he said the bbc are looking for a school band so they can do from here to their kind of thing, where it starts and where it can go. And they had the Pink Floyd in uh, the studio doing Saucer Full of Secrets and all you know that kind kind of stuff. And uh, and we want this school band. So uh, he got this guy, Mike Tyson, who could sing. And he was incredibly leery. He, he actually became an actor afterwards uh, yeah. rather than a musician. But uh, he could play... He had a bass guitar, and we said, well, we haven't got a bass player. And Dave said, oh, don't worry, my mate, I'll teach him. So uh, he got this bass guitar that he'd taken surfing in Cornwall. So it was a bit of a wreck. But anyway, (laughs) we got picked. The BBC went round all these schools, looking at these little school bands. We played in like a classroom, and they went, yep, we'll have them. So the next thing, film crew arrives, and uh, we are filmed playing a song which we'd made up called It's a Mean Old Scene in a classroom. And uh, it was on school's TV. So it was like incredible. And and can you still see, did you say it might have been deleted now? It it probably has been. I haven't actually searched. No, no. uh, But it was called, I think it was called Let's Make Pop uh, for schools. And uh, maybe it's there, maybe it's not. I'll actually do a search a bit later (laughs) and see if I can give them some money to delete it. (laughs)
0: So then you um, you left. Well, you you went to uh, to college to, yeah. to learn the the engineering side of things. Yeah, um, and you were doing more and more playing. At what sort of point did you decide? Now that I can't do that anymore, I've just got to do the drumming and concentrate on that, and that's my career.
1: Uh, probably when I was about seventeen, eighteen, because yeah. the problem was was I, I was actually misbehaving and we'd go off on a Friday and I'd be asked to do gigs, driving up, up to Bradford, you know, getting, you know, a bit pissed and misbehaving, coming back. Monday I'd be an absolute bloody wreck going in, you know. I couldn't concentrate and everything else. So it was obvious that I didn't have the uh, the focus to make it work because it, it was quite a responsible kind of job or learning pro you know and you have to take it you know this is what i really want to do well i wanted to be be in a band so it so i had to drop out of that it was like right you idiot now what are you going to do now you're going to have to find bands that pay money and that's always been an issue in music especially when you start trying to make any money out of it or when you've been around for a long time even you know but i was lucky And and you've done that
0: from, you know, sort of 17, 18 up until now. You're you're still, music is the main thing, and you haven't really done any other work at
1: all. Uh, I have done little bits and pieces. Um, I did some consultancy work in IT security. Um, Back in the old days when, uh, you know, uh, hacking and everything was really, you know, uh, I mean, this is sort of like in the days of floppy disks, um, so, and then, you know, but I managed, uh, uh, serendipity, I met this guy, and he's one of the great, you know, IT security, and he was looking for somebody to help him, and he said, I can't find anybody, um, can I just train you to do a few things, so he did, so we did we did some stuff, and uh, yeah, we were doing penetration testing and stuff like this, and this is before it became really sexy to be, you know, now IT security is, the number one thing, you know, this was when it was like an afterthought and everybody was getting hacked to bits, you know? So I did a bit of that, which, because I found it really interesting. And the guy uh, that I was working with was brilliant. He was a bit of a mad professor and he would just intrigue me and he would tell me all these things and show me all this, you know, and also, oh, you know, at that time um, I had some young children and I didn't want to be away as much Because, you know, you don't earn money sitting at home um, with music. You've got to go away. So you're away a long time. And, you know, I've got kids. And it's like at some point you've got to go, well, actually, I want to do less playing, uh, still earn a a living, but be dad, be taken for granted, not this bloke who comes home after three months, you know. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, you could always
0: get, I suppose you thought to yourself, well, I can always get back into it a bit more when they've grown up a little
1: bit. I did. I did, but you always have a little doubt. Can I? Can I? Yeah, All that, you know. Yeah, and uh, I must admit, it it takes a lot. If you drop back and not do much, I mean, I was always making sure that I'd be doing gigs, you know, every month, but yes. not working and solely focused on on doing stuff. I must admit, I was quite, you know, um, surprised how long it takes. To get back into proper shape to be oh, really ready, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you drop back for a couple of years, it will take a couple of years to get back to where you were, you know. And then you work hard to go a little bit further because you should always try and push yourself. But yeah, uh, yeah, but you know, it's that thing. You know, that you, you think in your mind, yeah. Because I'd do a gig now and again, and I'd get, I go, yeah, I'm playing really, really well, and I was playing playing well. But it's only when you actually get back into full, you know, full steam mode and uh, that that you suddenly go, God, there's a lot of rust on this bit, you know. Yeah,
0: Yeah. you weren't in the flow. You have to wait a while to get back into the flow, I guess.
1: Yeah, I could play, but it's like things that would be, um, you know, a lot easier uh, were harder. I had to think about it a bit more and there were certain things I, I won't do that, you know that kind of feel, because that's, that's a bit tricky. It took a, you know, a while to actually you know, get all of the bits working, <laughs> coordinated. Going back to your, your drumming itself,
0: um, mm. what were, you mentioned that you sort of got into the harder rock as the, as the 60s progressed, but what, what, were your, what were your main influences in style?
1: Uh, well, I've always had a fairly open mind in style. I mean, I love good players, and it doesn't matter whether it's, um, you know, rock or not. Although, you know, hearing John Bonham, you suddenly went, God, you know, that is that really is what I'd love to do, that kind of style or a Phil Collins or or a Mitch Mitchell. Um, You know, those players, Ginger Baker, you know, they were kind of, yeah, you know, that kind of drumming is sexy, you know. And they're still so well-respected, aren't they? They are. But I got into drummers, you know, because I was a real, you know, I was not only a, in fact, probably before, you know, that rock kind of side took over, I was into jazz uh, a fair bit and I would yes. listen to, you know, the Miles Davises and uh, Oscar Peterson and people like that. And you had Joe Morello, you had all these, you know, Tony Williams, all these fantastic drummers. So I've never been totally blinkered that's all I listen to. And I think that's a good thing to have.
0: That's got to be healthy, isn't
1: it? Yeah, because you get influences and there's things that they do and you think well actually i could bring this into a rock environment because to be honest playing is all about nicking or borrowing you know and making it your own finding your own slant on it you know and the the bigger pool of inspiration you have means that you've got more of a diverse style that you can do stuff and it will sound different to what you know everybody's doing the same kind of drum fills yeah yeah um, you can pull something else out and they go oh never heard that one before and you go well i well i have because i've nicked it you know yeah. yeah
0: so so it was a wide variety then in
1: that case yeah yeah uh, any music with good players i can listen to and enjoy and uh and absorb yeah and, and if, there's any, if we've got any
0: listeners that are drummers or they're particularly interested in drums, what, what is your current setup, Clive? Because I remember when I saw you with Wild Horses, I think you had a double bass kit.
1: Yes. Yeah. Is that still the case? I have uh, a couple of double bass drum kits, yeah, yeah. I don't use them that often because in those days, you didn't have double pedals if <laughs> you had to have two bass drums and, uh, and kick them, whereas the double pedal has evolved. So obviously it makes life easier uh but i still prefer having two bass drums but my main rig when i go out because a lot of what i'm doing now isn't you know i mean there's bits of double bass drum work in there but it's not quite so uh often as like the wild horses or you know ufo and stuff like that um so i would use a double pedal uh and my main my main kits are dw i've got uh, sort of like a, a collector series, I think it is, uh, which is my main, you know, kit. And then, then I've got another one. Uh, you know, I sound like I've got loads of drums. Well, I actually have. Um, but those are my main kits. And I've got a Tama kit, um, a double bass drum kit, and that's really my main rock kit. If I was doing sort of like real hard rock, I'd probably use that Tama Star Classic Double bass drums, lots of tom toms, and uh, is a great rock kit. The DW can do anything kind of thing. I've got two, I've got a cheaper one, um, which I can't remember the name of, uh, which is quite handy to have. And I've got a 20, 20 inch bass drum with that. I've got a 22 and a 20, so it's double bass drums. So if it's a smaller gig with some friends, I can take the 20 bass drum. And, and I can mount toms on like the bass drum too. So it just cuts down on, on size and, and room. So you vary the, the setup depending on who you're playing with, what
0: the music is and where you are, I
1: guess. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
0: Clive, I mean, the, the number of people that you've played with, it's been, it, you know, it's incredible over, over the years. And I was going to ask you, can you tell us about some of those experiences? But I think you probably haven't got time to talk about all of them. But are there any particular experiences that you've had over the last sort of 30 or so years that stick out and you particularly, you know, you remember them, whether, you know, you enjoyed them and and it meant something to you. Are there any there that you could share with listeners?
1: Yeah, there are so many. Um, Everybody I've worked with has made an impression on me. They've all been real characters and they've all had their own thing, you know, which is great. You know, from Pat Travers, Uli Roth, Screaming Lord Such, you name it. Uh, Brian Robertson, Jimmy Bain, you know, um, John Cale. Absolutely genius. Um, And if I had to pick out, you know, a band and people, it would be Pete Way and Phil Mogg. Uh, Yeah. Working with them was such a laugh. You would not believe it. You know, great players, but the pair of them together were like Morecambe and Wise. Are they really? Yeah. Pete, you know, is a one off. And Phil is a one-off. I mean, there were times when uh, it got a bit crazy, um, especially with Pete, you know, it would be like you'd turn up at the studio for recording and the glass doors, there was a guy there, you know, f- from like the glass place putting new glass in like the doors. And it's like, what? have you been broken into They said No, it was Pete. He'd left his uh, his trainers behind and he came back and forgot there was a door. Oh, and just walked, you know, lots and lots of stuff. Yeah. like that um yeah so yeah I couldn't pick out one but those two were just so funny and uh there were times when my stomach would hurt because I was laughing so much you know
0: that sounds like a lot of fun yeah how do you find the difference between recording live and performing li- uh, sorry recording and performing
1: live um well yeah there's a, a big difference um in, in what you play and how you play because a live gig is a performance so you can overplay to a certain extent you can do stuff whereas when you're recording you've got to live with this you know yes. this tune for the rest of your life so and quite often because it's a recording people aren't in the moment when they listen to it they're sitting at home and they put the vinyl on or they put the headphones on they do what they do so you kind of uh ease it back from what you would do live and then add stuff when you've heard the playbacks and you hear how it's going, go, well, actually I can put that back in there, but you know, you tend to cut it right down to, to like a basic version. And then as you do takes either (laughs) remove even more, you know, because the most important thing is getting the groove. You're playing the song. You're not playing for you. You're not getting your chops out. You know, if there's a space where you can great, but, that's the most important thing. Play to yeah. the song, and I would imagine that sort of you know, it's a very similar thing to acting. You know, you do a stage, you've got to overact, you've got to ham it up because you've got to project yourself to all those people in like a hall. In on camera, you know, it's cut it right back. You know, yeah, do very little. Otherwise, you look like a ham actor on film, and the same thing for uh, music. Pair it back, simplify it, and then, uh, and then you know evaluate it and see where you can put it in. You know, yeah. if
0: you had to choose one to do, what would it be?
1: It'd probably be live. I thought, I thought you might say that. <laughs> yeah, because of the excitement, the fun, yeah. the meeting, yeah. the people, and everything else. Although studio work is a very close second, yes, but it course. is much more, especially nowadays. And this is the thing, you know, from pandemic so much stuff now it's like working from home you know you do stuff separately and you get sent a track and it's like put drums to this and you send it off somebody put guitar on that then they put the vocals unfortunately i seem to have form on being able to play the virtually bugger all so i i don't hear the song until it's finished and i go oh god i thought i'd known that that was the melody for the vocal and that was going to happen there and all this yeah. I would have played it slightly different there, oh, right? But, so, so you yeah. would you would
0: record it, but you wouldn't necess- necessarily know what the vocal is going to sound like. Or no, like
1: my like, like I say, but I've got form on this because yeah. a lot of the UFO stuff was done like that because yeah. Phil would would not have, uh, and he does this a lot. You know, he has a finished track and then he puts the words to it and like the vocals. There is a great story actually with Pete Way, um, with George Martin when they were out. Um, in Montserrat, I think, uh, doing an album. And George Martin called Pete into his office, which was on the beach and you could look out and there's the sea and there's all the people. And he's going, now, Pete, I'm very, very worried because Phil doesn't seem to have um, the words for a lot of these songs and we're working on them and we're getting to the point where we need to, you know. He said, but I'm probably worrying and he's probably in his hotel room now writing the lyrics to these songs. And as he said that, Pete looked over his shoulder out to sea and saw Phil water skiing. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've got, I've got form on this.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, another little funny was uh, with Pete, we're, you know, working on this song. Uh, uh, we're working on a lot of songs and what Phil will do, he will keep singing the same words, different melody, but, he, but these lines would be in lots of songs. And uh, there was a line which was on uh, one of those nights, which is, she tripped across the floor. Well, he was using it in about five songs. And we were rehearsing away. And Pete said, if, uh, Phil, he said, yeah. He said, she and I tripping across that floor a lot tonight. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that's what that's what I mean about the uh, the fun of working. The more common wise the- it sounds like it. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Clint, what projects are you working on at the moment?
1: um well, I'm working on uh, Backstreet Crawler, first album in 40 years. I because I say uh, this this was the, the Paul Kossoff band from free, wasn't it? That's right yeah well he formed that band with Terry Slesser uh, and then they got session players in and they did did the first album and then and then actually the session players then joined the band but uh, but the band started with Paul and uh, and Slesser yeah living in a house in Reading. And uh, they wrote all that stuff and uh, Rabbit joined, uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, so it's been a long time. Uh, I mean, it's uh, how do you sort of pick up where Paul had left off? I mean, he's such a great loss to uh, music and at such a young age. He didn't even get to the 27 Club. He was 25. Oh that's too um, young. Yeah. Yeah. But we've got stuff. We've got, you know, songs written by Rabbit. We've got uh, Rabbit playing on stuff. We've got fantastic musicians involved. My cousin Rhino is playing on some of the stuff. Um, We've got Terry Wilson, the American bass player, uh, who did did the sessions and then joined the band uh, on it. You know, this, And then we've got a, a queue of guitar players. We've got John Buckton, who is fantastic and plays very much in that style of Paul and, you know, gives it the spirit. But we've got a long list of people putting their hand up saying, please, please, can I, Can you know, I won't mention names, but... Uh, no. No. but so that album's it, coming out in 2023? It will do at some point. I mean, it's same thing. Everybody's all over the place and yeah. trying to, you know, nobody can get in one room, but uh, it's it's gradually coming along. And there's some great stuff has been put down and, you know lots of influences in there, but it's, you know, it's great to be working on something that's not the same old, same old kind of thing. There's a lot of different fields because different people have written stuff. I mean, you know, Rabbit writes in a certain way. He's a fantastic writer as well as a fantastic keyboard player. Yeah. Uh, We've got Mark Taylor who, you know, has done Simple Minds and Elton John and, who you know, everybody. Um on keys and doing a lot of the writing, Sless, of course, with his fabulous voice and and style. So there's that. I'm working with Ray uh, with the uh, Frankie Miller Full House. Um, yeah. Haven't played on like the album, but the album comes out next year. Um, so, but going forward, you know, I'll probably record as well. But I've done the shows. I've done some live shows with them, and they've been fantastically well. That's with the Frankie Miller Full House. Yeah.
0: Who are former members of Frankie's band, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I Come mean, on. I knew Frankie and worked with him a little bit back in the day, so... Uh, did you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So, on the, on the Backstreet, I'm quite interested in on the Backstreet Crawler thing, because um, mm. I didn't buy any of their albums, but I was very much aware of them at the time, because of mm. Paul Kossoff. Um, yeah. So, is it still... I know you, did, you said it's not the same old, same old, but is, has it still got that Backstreet Crawler vibe?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, Backstreet Crawler wasn't the same old, same old. No. You no. know what I mean? It was that. And and the, the comments that I've had, which have been fantastic, on people who have been listening to it saying, it sounds old-fashioned, but it sounds new. It sounds current in its... But it hasn't got that, you know, it's got the best of the old-fashioned sound from the 70s with this new kind of vibe to it. And... uh there is one track, I mean, it's a very basic mix. It's not actually finished, the track, but uh, a friend of mine did a fantastic video for, for it called "Rome in a Day, yeah. which is on YouTube, and you can get an idea, you know, of what to expect, but there are different kinds of uh, styles um because of different pe- pe- people involved, you know, but it's not the same old AOR or the same old heavy metal or the same old this, which is great, you know. Um, it's just nice to have something that's different and, and 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 sounds like now and that's on that's available on youtube is it, it yeah it should be they well, might have taken it down because it's not a finished mix i mean there's all right. sorts of uh, stuff to be uh, it was like a rough monitor mix yeah. you can't hear the backing vocals so well you can this might be loud or the drum sound hasn't been you know fully mixed but it still sounds cracking. You know, I was going
0: to suggest we put it on the show notes for anybody that would be interested in this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I absolutely.
1: Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just taking time to get stuff because none of us are all, you know, in the old days, they'd ship you off to some place in Wales <laughs> yeah. where you couldn't escape no. and you'd have to write the album and then they'd ship you off to Cornwall where you had to record it and you'd do it all. You'd have the arguments and the fights and like the drinks. In fact, I was talking to Phil Mogg about this yesterday and uh because he's doing some stuff and i've sent him some stuff uh to listen to and he's going you know and i said you know it's all done i put drums to a keyboard in fact one of the tracks i put drums to an acoustic guitar now how do you know where the song's gonna go and he says yeah i've got some stuff he says yeah but i don't like doing it like that i like all the arguments the fights and the drinking <laughs> and i said not us all the egos yeah, yeah when you're all the, just, egos, yeah. Yeah, the whole when- thing kind of you know morphs into this thing that's bigger than just one person in like a room but you
0: look back and you you must really enjoy those times as well
1: oh yeah yeah but i try not to look back too much to be honest if if at all because you know i'm very much what's next what what can i do you know that's what's exciting not looking back going oh that was great yeah fine what's next (laughs) you know
0: yeah what are your thoughts on the contemporary music scene clive
1: um, it's pretty healthy in, in lots of ways. Um, my only um, worry is because the money's not coming in from the revenue. I mean, okay, bands in the 70s and the 80s probably made vast sums and it was, you know, well over the top. But nowadays with streaming and Spotify and stuff like this, it's very hard to yeah, make so Yes, I was reading
0: the other day about the, the amount of... That an artist earns um, and he can't even call it a penny, but per listen on Spotify it, it's sort of like point yeah. zero 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 one p or something yes yeah.
1: um, somebody has obviously worked out wrongly that okay, if I buy a record, I will listen to it three hundred thousand times in my life yes. so that so to buy it and download it's a pound so if I divide it by three hundred thousand, that's what I play for one listen but well, that's wrong. That's totally wrong. Even if you love a song, you may not play it more than four time, times a year, you know. And basically that money is not going into the business. It's not going into the, the next generation. It's not, you know, it's just being taken and used by corporations, yeah, you know. Yeah. And they don't fund bands anymore. They yeah. don't do anything. Years ago, record labels, at least they would give you the money to go and record and do this and money – to go on tour and money for this and money for that. So they actually did something to, uh, to kind of warrant them making a load of money as well. Yeah, no, I,
0: I think you're right. I think, I think the, the value uh, seems to have gone, doesn't it? And I remember yeah. as a, as a kid and you probably do as well, you go and buy an album, um, probably two pound 25 or something, which, you yeah, relatively was, was, you know, a couple of weeks paper round money. And, um, Easily. Easily. You would you would sort of, you'd listen to it and you thought, yeah, yeah I, like, I like the single, I like that single. And then mm. you, there were one or two tracks that you didn't, re- you thought, mm, all right. And then you got into them and because you bought it and it was, you know, you, you spent money on it, you, you, you made listen yourself to listen to it and you got into it. Yeah. Whereas now you, you yeah. put Spotify on, you think, mm, that's all right. I'll go to the next one. And you never, ever go back to that track that you could have got into.
1: Yeah, so absolutely. I think you, you lose out a bit. Absolutely. And you've got the entire collection of music in the world. For yes. just five quid a, you know a month yeah i mean you know it doesn't really uh bear thing thinking about and i think basically they've got to regulate it like they do with uh, media they do it with radio they do it with television they do it with all this and there is a certain value to be put on it but if it's streamed it's kind of out there in the ether and and they get away with doing anything they want. Whereas, if you play a record on the radio, you have to pay this much money. You know, um, they need to uh, governments. You know, they're not really fussed about it. it. You know, doesn't matter to them. But if it was uh, any other industry, there'd be uproar. That how could you possibly take this? You know, like product. You know, like from a farmer, and 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 give them nothing. Yeah effectively yeah, yeah, you know yeah it's it's sad well ho- hopefully things will change and and
0: yeah you never I, know I guess well i ho- hope so things have a sort of habit of going around in certain cycles don't they so hopefully they do the, um, the, the musicians will sort of suddenly stand up and think well actually you know I, I i need some valiant i need some i've spent a lot of time on this ten thousand hours learning the drums or the guitar i need yeah to-
1: exactly and you're I'm never not- going to get that back nowadays no, whereas no, you no. years ago you could uh, yeah. and you know but it won't be musicians standing up um uh, they don't really have much of a track track record and there's too many. what you need is uh, governments yes and and people in business to turn around and say, look this is wrong. I yeah. want to get into a business where I can take a product and pay zero 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 three of a penny you know yeah. and give it to somebody who pays me this much you know because they're all making a fortune and yeah. basically people are not paying enough for that music
0: no they're not no i, I agree totally i mean, I mentioned earlier on about the cost of an album in the 70s two pound 25 that you know yeah, yeah. If you looked at it now that would probably be 60 quid or something so,
1: so yeah uh, well it's half of what they pay a month for having the entire world collection yeah
0: yeah
1: at their fingertips um yeah. so yeah it's got to change uh, or you know music's not investing back into it to itself no and back no. into talent um so yeah, yeah. On a a positive note,
0: and Mm. we've probably covered it there, what advice would you give someone who was thinking of entering the music industry? If you've got any listeners that are younger listeners, perhaps, uh, or even slightly older listeners who play an instrument, they're in bands, and they really would like to make it
1: their career, what sort of advice would you give on that? Well, uh, the main thing, you know, be prepared for knocks. You know, you've got to be a bit thick-skinned on this, and you've got to be fairly focused. You've got to really want to do it, Um, and that's it, you know. if you fall at the first hurdle, you're not going to do it. But but if you do manage to keep going and you're building a career, I think you have to one of the most important things for me is do what you believe in. Do what you believe is right. Don't try and chase somebody else, you know, oh, we want you to make a record that sounds like these guys. You know, you find that stuff done like that dates really fast and you won't be proud of it. But if you try and put If you try and, you know, do stuff that that your heart says, yeah, I really like this, I really want to do this, then, uh, you know, it's got a good chance of standing the test of time because you put yourself into it. You know, if it's just me trying to sound like so and so, then it's not going to it's not going to stand, you know, so follow your heart and be prepared to uh, put up with a lot of grief
0: sounds like great advice so um where can people find out more about your work
1: clive well there's uh, facebook i put stuff on facebook there are the various websites for backstreet crawler frankie miller's full full house um wikipedia seems to know a fair bit of of what i get up to somehow um but i don't have a personal web page um but you can search like i say wikipedia's got uh, a bit of info backstreet crawler um house of x uh was a project i did with lawrence and uh, and rocky you know all from those Schenker era and ufo era there's information on there
0: lawrence archer
1: yes oh yeah yeah um so the house of x but that hasn't been updated because it's been a fairly you know sort of dormant project because everybody this is another big uh, lionheart of course Yeah. This is the big issue. Everybody's having to work in far more bands in the old days. You could be in one band and and earn a living if you're in one band, unless it's doing incredibly well, you're skint. You know, you've got to be working. So it's all about give and take. Oh, I'm going to be away for six months here. Please don't do anything. It's like, oh, my God. So you either have to get a dep in or whatever. So, yeah, the business has changed an enormous amount. What
0: we'll do is put all those links on on the show notes so people can um, have a look at their leisure. And it's been really good talking to you, Clive. Thanks ever so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, no, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for asking. And uh, onwards and Edwards, as me and my cousin on, say,
0: onwards and Edwards. <laughs> That's a great great way to conclude the show. Thanks ever so much yeah. for coming on.
1: Okay, all Next right. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.
0: have been listening to undercurrent stories i hope you've enjoyed this episode please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family and if you have 60 seconds i will be most grateful if you would please rate and review to hear more episodes please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com if you leave your email in the link we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released also check out our social media links details of which can be found on the show notes. Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best.